Hey everyone, you're listening to Cinema 5000, and I am Mallory, your host here to talk to you about eight movies I have seen in recent times. We are at 5,280 films seen, and this episode is going to be released on August 29th, and then the following episode is going to be released on September 5th, and then, come September 5th, you have to wait a couple weeks at least for another episode because I'm going to be on vacation going places not necessarily going to have time to go to the theaters or really sit down for a couple hours or so and watch a movie might get a couple in here and there but it's going to be a little it's going to be a little difficult uh, even that episode on September 5th might be pretty light because the only thing I am guaranteed to watch is the real mystery movie that I'm going to on September 4th so I'm hoping in my time of being on a bus going down to New York City at some point, I'll have the time to maybe watch one movie at least. Uh, and then I come back in like the afternoon, so maybe I'll watch another one at night. Just, it's going to be a little, it's going to be a little difficult for me to, you know, have the time, make sure I'm awake and such, to do such movies, watchings for you, for me to discuss. But I promise there will be at least one movie on that episode on the 5th. So as I said, 5,280 films. We've got eight on this episode. And the first one is The Guardian from 1990, directed by the late, great William Friedkin. Mr. William Friedkin passed away just a couple weeks ago. Fantastic filmmaker. Everything he's done is memorable, no matter how bad it is or how great it is. Uh, you might know he directed The Exorcist. <laughs> so other movies like Cruising and Sorcerer and... Uh, just a very notable, wonderful filmmaker, and if even you don't like his movies, uh, some of the documentaries he's participated in and talks that I've seen online are just fantastic. He has such an eye, he has such a perspective, and um, it's a great loss. Somebody who I admired, and uh, even though I wasn't like the biggest Exorcist fan out there in the world, it's still like a fantastic movie, very memorable, and uh, just nobody did it like this guy. French Connection. Oh, To Live and Die in LA, that is one of my favorite movies of all time just a fantastic fantastic movie i would definitely recommend to live and die in la as a film to see but the guardian let's talk about it from 1990 tonight while the world is asleep an ancient evil is about to awaken phil and kate select the winsome young camilla as a live-in nanny for their newborn child but the seemingly lovely camilla is not what she appears to be. Uh, not gonna spoil this because I don't think I can technically. <laughs> this movie is a lot of um, uh, mood and uh, disgustingness and uh, sort of the idea of this uh, this baby, this wonderful baby, is selected and needed by this force, Camilla. <laughs> she is a man. She is a crazy possessive uh, tree demon of sorts. Or I guess you could say, um, you know what's coming with this one, but, uh, setting the ridiculousness of the plot aside, um, there's some very disgusting, gruesome bits to this movie that I was kind of fascinated by. They really kind of push the envelope for what a horror movie can do, uh, especially in, like, 1990. Like, this is pre-computer-generated graphics. This is, like, just about a decade after, um, The Evil Dead, and it should surprise no one that at one point, uh, Mr. Sam Raimi was involved with this movie, but he left the project. And it's too bad because uh, Sam Raimi could have added even more things to it, but the sort of evil deadness of trees and uh, 
nature sort of attacking um, is very present in this. Um, <laughs> and uh, Freakin, I would say, it doesn't necessarily strike me as his style. Uh, but I got a lot out of this. I found it to be fun. It found it to be creepy. It was a fun movie to watch, like, really late at night in the dark. Uh, it's it's a horror, but it's not really horrifying. It's just a little gross. And it does a good job of building pace and anticipation of sort of things happening. Like somebody running into a dark room and hoping, oh gosh, oh gosh, I hope I don't get caught by whatever's going on. <laughs> but I would recommend The Guardian from 1990 by William Friedkin um, mildly. I only gave it two and a half stars. It's not a great film, no matter how you look at it, but it's fun. It's, 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 it's fun. You could watch way, way worse. Um, but that's what I'll say about that. I don't want to say too much about sort of how things happen with this evil nanny, <laughs> um, nature shit and, uh, devil dogs, maybe demons. It's, 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 it's bizarre. It's way out there. I do remember seeing a Siskel and Ebert review where I think it was Siskel who said it was like absolutely terrible, <laughs> but, um, I think you can still have fun with it. And, uh, yeah, if you're checking off the films that you haven't seen from William Freakin, this is one of them. But I, uh, I don't think it's his worst. But uh, The Guardian from 1990, directed by William Freakin. Let's move on. From 1978, we now have The Fury, directed by Brian De Palma. The tagline is, An experience in terror and suspense. When a devious plot separates CIA agent Peter Sanza from his son, Robin, the distraught father manages to see through the ruse. Taken because of his psychic abilities, Robin is being held by Ben Childress, who is studying people with supernatural powers in hopes of developing their talents as weapons. Soon, Peter pairs up with Jillian, a teen who has telekinesis, to find and rescue Robin. Right off the bat, uh, I will say I've been meaning to watch this movie for years and years. Uh, the Fury is something I've seen in like various streaming services and just been like, why haven't I watched that? I knew it was a 70s De Palma film. I didn't know how bizarro it got, and it gets pretty bizarro, but it stars Kirk Douglas as Peter Sansa, and uh, John Cassavetes is uh, Mr. Childress, who has taken the sun. The opening is like a very, very strange uh, opening sequence with violence, and uh, you find out what's going on very quickly as far as this cap kid kidnapping it's like the opening sequence of the film and then we get down to the sequences where peter is trying to figure out how to find his son uh also evade the uh, cia who is uh trying to get him and prevent him from finding robin and then amy irving plays the young girl jillian and uh it's it's kind of interesting how jillian is discovered like she has this sort of uh feeling a premonition of sorts um with somebody when she's just like talking and then she's she's spotted by someone who knows who she is uh the sort of telekinesis powers that these people have is like if you've seen the shining the stanley cooper film uh it's kind of similar to that and this came out before that um it's not a great film though i think it really gets too in its head about how to explain these things going on it should have simplified things a bit the screen the script it just there's too much too much discussion of things this could have been a shorter film and a little more hmm a little tight it just doesn't quite 
work. Uh, and it's too bad because I think Kirk Douglas is pretty good in this. Amy Irving is good in this. John Cassavetes is a little underused. He's not in a lot of the film. And also we get Charles Durning showing up, who is a part of the um, sort of investigative telekinesis ex exploration um, stuff that is tied to Ben Childress. And he uh, ends up finding Jillian. Um, I think this is a a flawed film that has plenty of things to admire, admire excuse me, admire about it. Um, a little different, but also similar to The Guardian. Uh, it does have some good effects. Uh, the finale of the film is probably the thing it's most notable for. <laughs> it's one of those things you just never forget, regardless of the film that came before it. So while I do think this movie has some issues with it, it's not badly made. I just think it just could have used some editing in that script and make it a tighter motion picture. Um, I think Jillian, if anything, could have been a fleshed, up, fleshed out a little better too, but I don't think she's badly done um, for, for a character that is so important to this entire thing. Um, there just could have been more of her, but what is there isn't so bad necessarily. Yeah, it's flawed, but I do think there's some good things about the Fury but I only gave it two and a half stars. I just couldn't give it three stars. There was just some dragging parts in the middle that really drove me crazy. Um, but I also think this is also a very well-made film. Um, it looks pretty good. Uh, it's directed by Brian De Palma, as I said, and the cinematography is by Richard H. Klein. He did movies such as Body Heat uh, and the 70s King Kong and um, also Howard the Duck. <laughs> but he also shot a movie that I uh, definitely do enjoy, which is the 1983 remake of Breathless with Richard Gere, which is good. Um, yeah, 70s cinema, it, this is, this is a good turning point for when it's good production values without being too flashy. And then fresh ideas, whether they work or not, that are enough to keep you keep your butt in the seat, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, but The Fury from 1978, directed by Brian De Palma. Um, another thing is that this takes place in Chicago. So 70s Chicago. It's interesting to look at. Uh, I went to college in Chicago for a couple of years, and there's a lot of films that I haven't seen that are prominent Chicago films. And this uh, has a sort of nice w look to it. Um, gosh, what neighborhoods did this take place in? I want to say near Lincoln Park. I'm probably wrong about that, but a uh, nice looking film regardless. But let's move on. Now from 1980, this is Resurrection, directed by Daniel Petrie. This stars Ellen Burstyn, Sam Shepard, and Richard Farnsworth. The tagline is, it's not supposed to happen, so be there when it does. The story of a woman who survives the car accident which kills her husband, but discovers that she has the power to heal other people. She becomes an unwitting celebrity, the hopes in those desperate of willing of needing healing, and a lightning rod for religious beliefs and skeptics. So Ellen Burstyn plays this character, uh, Edna, who is just a seemingly ordinary woman, and then this tragedy happens, but she truly does become a healer, and she's not necessarily the religious type, so there are people who want to latch on to her and take advantage of what she has, and I think Ella Burstyn was really fantastic in this movie. I really liked her character, um, and the d dynamics that are played out with her trying to figure out her life and also seeking a, a romantic partner, but... Sam Shepard in this. Oh, man. He plays Cal, who is just a bad boyfriend and kind of a jackass. And 
it's unfortunately one of those things where you're just like, you just need to leave him, get away from him, but she doesn't. And, um, it's a little frustrating and it re it leads to some unfortunate events that happen where people get hurt. Uh, I, I'm not going to say much about that beyond that of the film because I actually am going to recommend this. I'm going to give this three stars as much as this movie feels a little, a little heavy in its ideas of talking about this character, but also a little bland and sort of making her go through the unfortunate routine of having a bad partner in life. Uh, I found some moments of this to be very compelling, even outside of Ellen Burstyn's performance. Some of the healing scenes are done very, very well, and it's shot pretty well. I also really like the setup of her figuring out that she can do the healing with her, with, um, her, just her abilities she discovers. Because so, somebody gets hurt at a family gathering, um, and this is long, not too long after, actually, the accident that has happened that has left her as a widow. Uh, and it's just an interesting setup. It's, it is, again, a flawed film. <laughs> Every movie this episode is flawed. But I found her to be a very compelling person and character, despite the script confines that kind of box her into typical struggles that women in 80s movies kind of experience, where they've got they've got friends, they've got support, but then there's just the shitty man in their life. And uh, it kind of gave me shades of like... Oh man, there is some other movie this reminded me of. The The stories are totally different, but this sort of reminded me of Peter Bogdanovich's Mask and also uh, the movie The World According to Garp. Uh, that's, I think, Walter Hill. Uh, different kind of movies, but the sort of setup of them just kind of like made me think about them. I gotta look up, is Garp actually Walter Hill? I'm, I'm gonna reject me saying that and now go, George Roy Hill, not Walter Hill. Very close. Different Hill. Uh, <laughs> but the sort of not really fantasy elements of them, I think that's maybe, yeah, Mask is not a fantasy. That's a straight uh, people story, human experience kind of thing. This is also human experience, but that this one does go into a little bit of the fantasy, but like a grounded fantasy. But it's an odd film <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, Resurrection from 1980, directed by Daniel Petrie. Kind of a difficult difficult film for me to talk about, but I found enough in Ellen Burstyn's role to, like, really enjoy and find, as a viewer, to be enjoyable and entertaining. So, this is probably not going to work for a lot of people, but uh, I didn't hate watching it. So, let's move on. Next movie. Uh, the one film I'm giving three stars on this episode. I hate saying that, but that is the truth. The next film is Boyfriends and Girlfriends from 1987, directed by Eric Romare. The tagline is, the friends of my friends are my friends too. Middle-class Parisian suburbs, Blanche and Leah, office worker and student, meet and become friends. Leah is going out with Fabienne, but is thinking about leaving him. Blanche falls for Leah's handsome and witty friend, Alexander, but is tongue-tied whenever she meets him. Leah goes on holiday, and Blanche, still smitten with the dashing Alexandra, begins to get to know Fabian. A classic Romare moral tale. Uh, this is not my favorite Eric, Ro Eric Romare film by, like, a long shot, 
that dynamics between these women and their relationship is kind of it's kind of expected young loves kind of stuff like so-and-so like so-and-so but so-and-so can't be with so-and-so it's nothing surprising nothing new even in 1987 this is nothing new <laughs> um but it's very charming and lovely i liked the two lead performances by emmanuel chalet as blanche and sophie renoir as leah they're lovely characters and uh the performances are good from them and the other men in the film alexander and fabian uh it's it's this is one of the movies that I had in my Netflix DVD queue that I needed to watch because it's not on streaming anywhere. And I hate telling you that this is the movie I give three stars that I recommend the strongest. I did give Resurrection three stars, so I'm not saying this is the only three star movie, but this is the one I recommend a little st more strongly than that. Um, it's just, this is typical kind of teen stuff. I've probably seen dozens and dozens of movies like this even though they're not really teenagers they're adults young adults let's just say young adults this is a familiar kind of dynamic and script and uh it's Romero doing all those things he does really well which is making these people feel real and really endearing and fun and also flawed and curious about romance and what their lives can and can't be and is it you know suitable for them to be engaging with certain people because of you know that's my friend's boyfriend kind of thing but uh <laughs> it's cute it's fine it's like I said it's not my favorite Romare by a long shot but I still liked it so boyfriends and girlfriends from 1987 directed by Eric Romare and uh yeah I uh unfortunately got this from Netflix DVD which is ending at the end of September but I still had a good time watching it of course like I wasn't come on I would not not like this movie <laughs> um yeah now something I did go to the theater this is the newest film on the podcast it is Landscape with Invisible Hand from 2023 directed by Corey Finley the tagline is they came for our love Years into a benevolent alien occupation, mankind is still adjusting to its new overlords. Their technology initially held promise for global prosperity, but rendered most human jobs and steady incomes obsolete. When two teenagers discover that aliens are fascinated with human love and will pay for access to it, they decide to livestream their romance to make extra cash for their families. So, yeah, your lives are more or less run by these aliens that are uh, more or less a uh, parable and uh, telling about capitalism, and I did not like this movie. <laughs> it's very cutesy and uh, not overly cutesy, like tolerable cutesy kind of twee thing. But uh, for a movie that wants to be a comedy with a commentary and sort of relevant to the human experiences we're having now, especially with the live streaming of romances, um, that's just straight out of like an episode of Big Brother, kind of. <laughs> um, I did not enjoy much of any of this movie. And it's really too bad to say because I found the lead character of Asante Black, who is playing Adam, the young boy who then meets Chloe, who's played by Kylie Rogers. I thought they were both good. I 
just wish this movie had a lot more to say that didn't feel so surface level. It's also not funny. It wants to be funny. Um, Tiffany Haddish plays uh, Adam's mother, Beth, and uh, her home is now occupied by uh, Chloe's family because... Adam likes Chloe so much, he says, hey, maybe your family should move in with my family because Chloe's family doesn't have a home. They're homeless. But it becomes an issue of, you know, whose house is this? What are you doing here? And uh, problems. And also uh, Chloe's father being a little bit like, oh, you guys are loaded. You have a house. And it's like everybody has a struggle in their own way. And the movie doesn't really do a good job of really conveying that. It just sort of grazes over it. Um, and I just didn't like how this movie wanted to tell this tale, like I said, very much about capitalism and trying to monetize your experience so you can survive. And it made me kind of sad because I know this movie didn't cost a lot of money, frankly, but it could have been a missed opportunity to maybe make this a little more, bit more geared towards maybe younger viewers because this is rated R. I frankly don't know why this movie is rated R other than one brief very brief scene of violence, which it didn't really even need. You could have cut away from it and we didn't have to see that. That scene does leave an impact though. I, yeah, this is where I'm a little frustrated because that one act of violence does show the frustrations the characters are experiencing in this world without needing to say anything. You get it. But then, then again, it goes into this whole job thing and trying to appease the alien overlords and, uh, it drags and drags and drags and this movie is like barely oh wait it's 105 minutes so i when i saw the movie in the theater it said it was 94 minutes no it's 105 it drags regardless of that 10 minutes or so the movie is too long for what it wants to be and doesn't have a very good job of saying how it needs to say these things and i found that very disappointing and frustrating um i'm not going to say it's like one of the worst of the year but so far it is because of my big frustration with it and it was it was something where I was watching it in the theater and I was the only person in the theater but then again I think it was like nine o'clock on a Wednesday uh <laughs> or was it a Thursday one of those nights oh it was Wednesday it was definitely Wednesday because the Thursday uh they only had like one showing at noon and it was gone I might have been like one of a dozen people who even saw this movie all week at my local multiplex but when the movie was happening I just knew what kind of conclusions it was trying to make because it wasn't doing a good job of really adding any depth to them and I was just like yeah I get it movie what else are you gonna do it didn't do anything else other than that and it's it sucks um another thing just a weird observation these people are supposed to be struggling and yet uh one of the kids is wearing like golden goose sneakers at one point there isn't a, there is a suggestion that the aliens, um, do like finer goods, but not to that degree of like a label. So I would hope that the kids stole the shoes because the aliens dumped them on the planet. The aliens kind of hover over on their own little base, um, and they dump things, but I don't know if they were dumping designer shoes. This kid had designer shoes. You should not have designer shoes in a movie where people are trying to, uh, figure out their lives and are maybe struggling and don't have jobs that just doesn't make sense and it makes me question what's going on here costume designer issue or is that like a suggestion from the story I don't know anyway it's a distraction for someone like me who will notice those things but 
it's not the only issue with this movie that's for sure but landscape with invisible hand from 2023 directed by Corey finley uh I totally didn't look this up before the movie, but Corey Finley directed two other films that I have seen, one of them being Thoroughbreds from 2017, which I thought was fine. The other being Bad Education, which went to HBO as a TV movie um, that starred Hugh Jackman, Allison Janney. I hated that movie. <laughs> I hated it. I hated it. I hated it so much. I thought Hugh Jackman was terrible in it, and I thought the script was really obnoxious. Um, and I think if I had looked that up before I saw Landscape with Invisible Hand, I would not have seen the movie, though this did play at Sundance, so I was going to see it at some point, whether on streaming or in a theater, but I think if I watched it on streamer, streamers, I want to any kind of streaming service, I would have just turned it off, but gave it two stars. Next movie, a uh, comedy of power from 2006, directed by Claude Chabrol. No tagline, but it goes like this. Magistrate Jean Charmé Kilman doggedly investigates CEO Michael Hooman, who is accused of participating in massive corporate malfeasance. As her investigation leads her into the upper echelons of government, Jean becomes intoxicated by the power she is amassing. If that makes you think it sounds like Isabel Huppert is dominating men, you would be absolutely right. <laughs> I love Isabel Huppert. She is a wonderful, fabulous actress. You look at her on screen and she's either going to be somebody who's going to make you shiver with fear or um, she smiles and then you just think she is the loveliest looking French woman in the world because she just has a vibrancy to her whether it be terrifying or absolutely charming and i love her if she's in something i'm seeing it and that's why i got comedy power this was also a movie i had in my netflix dvd queue that i had to give a look uh i have seen a couple films from claude chabrol over the years um i don't think any of them have really stuck out to me but looking on like letterbox as far as like maybe his top 10 movies i haven't seen any of the top 10 as far as ranking them for the movies that people uh have seen the most like i've seen a girl cut in two i've seen the bridesmaid i've seen something else as well so i haven't seen his more prominent films that people know him for i did see his segment in six in paris as well uh but this one comedy of power um I did get the satisfaction of watching Isabel Huppert just do what she does wonderfully, which is be in charge and be a girl boss. But <laughs> um, this felt a little flat to me. Um, <laughs> I, I also know I said my Michelle Humeau's name wrong because I'm looking at it now. It's like, yep, you definitely looked at that wrong. But uh, that character, Michelle, uh, being investigated by her for corruption, um, he's 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 screwed. And uh, she really enjoys what she does, but at what cost? It does affect her home life. And uh, it becomes a suggestion that maybe she was girl bossing too hard. And I, uh, I, uh, I question if that is the right take for this. Unfortunately, I found a lot of this film to be very flat. It didn't grab me the way I wanted it to. And even though you've got Isabel Huppert just doing what she does best, um, it kind of let me down because she's doing a great job of course but the rest of the film didn't find fi just didn't strike me as being interesting and apparently this entire story is loosely based on a s true story of something that happened with a french uh 
oil uh, CEO uh, for the, uh, this is a company I've never heard of, um, Elf Aquitaine, and uh, being investigating for corruption. So, yeah, fraud and other things going on. I think if I had known a little bit, bit more of that uh, story in Fran from France um, and the investigation that went into that, I might have had a little more feeling, a little more interest in the story for Comedy of Power. As it is, I don't think it's a bad film. I just don't think it's for me. I gave it two and a half stars. Uh, Claude Chabrol is such a prominent fil French filmmaker that I need to watch more of his films. I'm doing myself a disservice, especially since he has made a number of films with Isabelle Huppert, including Story of Women and Le Ceremony. And I just need to, I just need to get get in the loop on his films. I'm sure I'm going to enjoy a couple of them at least. Uh, I just have to get to them soon, hopefully. Uh, but Comedy of Power from 2006, directed by Claude Chabrol. As I said, just two and a half stars for me. Not so great. I do know it is actually on Canopy. So while it was a DVD that I got from Netflix that I made the point of watching before Netflix DVD goes away, I now see it's available online. So it's not, it's not gone the way of the dodo, this movie at least. So who pair fans out there rejoice, you have another chance to see this. <laughs> uh, yeah, now a newer film. This is Blue Jean from 2023 to say 2022 on Letterboxd. I know that it was probably released in Britain last year because I do believe it was nominated for a BAFTA or two but uh yeah this is directed by Georgia Oakley and it does not have a tagline but the summary for Blue Jean goes like this Jean a PE teacher is forced to live a double life when a new student arrives and threatens to expose her sexuality Jean is pushed to extreme lengths to keep her job and her integrity unfortunately this is another two and a half stars for me uh, I liked the uh, lead performance of Jean by Rosie McEwen. I thought she was very luminous and really had a great screen presence, like an intriguing actor. Like you want to know what's going on in her head as her character sort of goes through these motions of her day job where she works in a school and then coming home and turning on the TV and hearing on the news how basically Margaret Thatcher wants to outlaw homosexuals and you know, spread homophobia through the British government and into the daily lives of people like Jean and maybe costing her her livelihood. And that's very concerning. And you know, she she's concerned. She's, she's an actress who doesn't have to do a lot to emote and give you her feelings and her eyes do a lot of the work. So I like her. I want to see her in other films. Uh, I also at times thought she looked a little bit like Rosamund Pike, like they could play sisters, absolutely could play sisters anytime in a film. Um, but the thing that kind of bothered me about this movie uh when she starts to have um the interactions with the student who um she ends up seeing out in about in a scenario where she has a understanding that the student just like her might be gay um the movie just kind of just becomes that that is all it is other than Jean sort of figuring out uh what's going on with this girl at the school and me and my job is that like I said before is that going to cost me my livelihood am I going to have to change jobs because Jean has gone through a major change in her life already to now get to this point and to try to find her new identity uh the movie is just a bit too flat for me 
it has a very typical kind of British cinema feel, which I guess I am not the only person. Somebody did tell me that like, yeah, that sort of British typical style that you feel um, is something that's present where you have this story, but there's not a lot of depth to it. And maybe the filmmaking kind of flattens what the story potentially could be and how its uh, artistic values are not very exciting or new or really interesting. And um, yeah, I, I felt let down by this. I was very much anticipating it for a while. I know it played at the Boston Wicked Queer Film Festival and I had wanted to go see it, but it just couldn't work out to go see the film in the theater. Um, and sadly, I feel glad that I didn't make that effort because the movie just didn't have enough to really work for me. Um, and that's too bad. I think that some other folks I know would probably enjoy this, though. So while this is... Mm, here's another thing I didn't really think of. While this is a drama that has a gay and lesbian, you know, text... Um, I didn't think of this other thing. It is unfortunately a gay and lesbian tragedy in some ways. And that's a very tropey kind of thing where gay characters can't really have, you know, happy experiences in life. But then again, this is in some ways a historical drama because it is talking about a certain time period where there was deep questioning about how can we live our lives? And then how the Brit British government enacted certain things that put people like Jean in jeopardy because of her, um, her day job and how she made a living. Uh, yeah. So yes, it is kind of tropey in that way. Um, but it is also set in a certain time and place. I don't know if this character is based on anything real. I haven't really done the research on that. Uh, but it makes sense for a movie like this to exist and a story like this be told, especially concerning recent events now in present time. So <laughs> a roundabout way of saying, yes, this movie is in some ways a gay and lesbian tragedy and sad and not very bright and happy and hopeful, but it also has some relevance to it. And uh, setting... My quibbles aside, I do think this is a movie that I would recommend, like I said, to some people because I think they would enjoy it. So all is not lost with this movie, which is, you know, I, I want to be positive about this because I just don't think it was so bad of a movie that I want to just dismiss it. Like there's enough things about it, especially Rosie McEwen, uh, who bring good things to the film, even when it feels kind of typical to me. So... Uh, my two and a half stars could be three stars for somebody else, or it could be four stars. So I'll say that, uh, especially since this is a smaller film, it is not a very big production. So it, uh, as a smaller film, I think it is successful in ways that bigger films these days would love to be successful. So yeah, it's not amazing. It's not great. I don't quite love it, but there's enough things about Blue Jean that I would say it's obviously it's just not terrible. It's just not great. It could have been better, but for what it is, I don't think it's necessarily a total, you know, it's not a disaster. No, 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 no. Um, Georgia Oakley as a filmmaker, I think I would go see something else that she made. Um, I didn't mention this before, but I think the script is probably just the downfall for this one. She did write the script as well. Um, she's the kind of filmmaker that I think if she made another film that she didn't write, 
maybe it would be better or maybe if she collaborated with someone else or just had a different story uh there's just so very there's there's certain steps and paces and things that happen in the film that make it predictable that's another thing about it um for me I don't like predictable things in films and um our next film <laughs> was extremely predictable as well but um I like I said I have some admiration for Blue Jean and things it has, but I don't think it's a great film, unfortunately. So, two and a half stars, Blue Jean, directed by Georgia Oakley. I watched this as a, like, $6.99 rental from iTunes, I believe, and that's where you can find it as well. Uh, but yeah, that's Blue Jean. And our last film. <laughs> this is a 2022 release. I think this is actually, 2022 is when it was technically released on Shutter, maybe? Maybe it was 2023, but I do think this had a theatrical exhibition in 2022. Maybe not in the United States, but other places. The last film on this episode is Nocebo, directed by Lorcan Finnegan. The tagline is, Sanity hangs by a thread. A fashion designer hires a nanny from the Philippines to assist her in caring for her family while she is suffering for what she believes is a tick-related illness. The nanny uses traditional Filipino folk healing techniques to help her, but in the process of doing so, she uncovers a horrifying truth about why she is there and why her employer is actually why her employer is actually sick. Um, that's not maybe the uh, best way to describe this. Um, <laughs> that that stuff all happens, but um, the nanny knows why she's there. That woman, Diana, she knows why she slows up. So let me describe the film for you because that summary is a little off. But Ava Green plays Christine, who is this fashion designer who one day... Uh, has this vision where she sees this nasty dog that is covered in ticks and the dog shakes and one of the ticks bites her. We then flash forward like eight months later and Christine is someone who's clearly suffering from something. We don't know exactly know what's going on. Now, this does kind of have a disease of the week kind of feel to it because there's multiple sequences and things that happen with Christine where she seems like she's fine, she's okay, and then she has this like crippling pain in her body and she doesn't know why she's on a number of medications she sleeps with like a CPAP machine the um, ox uh, maybe it's oxygen or just air machine that goes over her nose and that is her life she's kind of miserable and she's trying to get her life back together you see her go to try to get a job interview and uh, discuss her possibility of getting back into fashion and it seems like things are going to work out but she still has these issues then one day Diana, who is played by Chai Financier, uh, she shows up at the doorstep of Christine's home and said, hi, I'm here to work for you. Christine does, like, not remember hiring this woman, but then again, she has had memory loss issues with all of her pain and her suffering. Uh, her husband is played by Mark Strong. He plays Felix, and he's like, okay, uh, this is strange. Why is this woman here? But then they begin to sort of accept that Diana is here to take care of the family in certain ways, to cook for them, clean for them, uh, even watch after their dog, uh, dog, <laughs> their daughter, Roberta, who is not a very big fan of Diana. She thinks something is off and something is going on. We soon learn the backstory of Diana and 
things that have happened to her in in life and tragedies. And it becomes very much a horror slash thriller um, of an intruder. And it's funny how I started out with The Guardian, where there is this nanny who is taking taking over and doing wacky things. That also happens here with Diana, but it's a little more serious. It's a little more grounded in uh, the things that are happening. And Diana is a healer. Going back to Resurrection, <laughs> this movie uh, episode is all coming full circle here with this film. Uh, <laughs> but um, she is trying to help Christine feel better. So Christine wants to believe that everything is right with Diana, but things start to develop. Weird things start to happen. Um, the eventual conclusion about why Diana is at Christine's home and while uh, she is on these meds and Felix finds a reason to a possible reason to distrust Diana. Um, the reason for why Diana is there eventually becomes very, very clear and predictable. <laughs> um, while it is predictable, uh, I felt like Diana was like a very well explained character. She's not just some freaky person who's a healer who's going to mess up this family. There's other stuff going on that, uh, Christine has done that has had an impact on people and that's all I'm gonna say um, I am sadly only giving this movie two and a half stars but it's probably like the highest two and a half I could give a movie that I didn't really care for in the end because it had wonderful atmosphere very spooky bizarro atmosphere uh, it was a little freaky uh, the stuff with the ticks was really disgusting and um, it's not just that they were ticks, it's that they were engorged ticks. I've pulled a number of ticks off my dog over the years, and those ticks had blood in them. Uh, absolutely gross. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, it is very obvious and predictable what will happen at the conclusion and the end of this film and what Christine's fate is, but, um, it, uh, it sort of worked and it sort of didn't. I think the script just let it down a little bit. There could have been a bit more of a, I don't know. I think the ending is where it kind of suffers. Something happens to Christine where she is like under uh, Diana's control. And uh, I I thought that looked kind of crappy. <laughs> um, and then something happens to Felix where it sort of puts him out of being in the home. And that's where it fell apart. But I think the three quarters of the movie that came before that were like solid three-star material, but I will say the general explanation of Diana's life and fleshing out that character, talking about her experience and uh, her home, and she's a Filipino woman, and she's coming into this very staunch British home, and the contrast of that I think is done pretty well, but that ending. <laughs> uh, not so great, but um, I, I don't know. Any day or day of the week I might give this three stars, but from just seeing this and my feelings on it now, I'll give it two and a half stars. This is a movie you can rent. Um, you can also watch it on Shutter. That's how I watched it. And Ava Green as Christine is actually pretty well cast because you, in general, like Ava Green, she has a nice smile. She's a very attractive woman. So you want to believe she's a good person. But there's some things about Christine that we learn where we understand how mm, she is not so great. And uh, Mark Strong a little underutilized in this film as the husband, but 
I appreciated seeing him in a smaller film like this. Uh, so I don't, I don't hate it. I also think, like I said, the atmosphere was really great. The cinematography was pretty great. It's a pretty well-produced film that I just think loses it in the end, unfortunately. So two and a half stars for me. Uh, if you're doing like any kind of horror list where you're watching movies that are Halloween, this and that, I would actually recommend this movie. Uh, it's a little different, a little, little strange, a little off. Kind of reminded me a little bit of The Omen. Like the second that Diana showed up on the doorstep, I was like, this is The Omen. This is what's going on. <laughs> but that's not quite what's happening here. So Nocebo from 2023 or 22, whatever you want to say, directed by Lorcan Finnegan. Uh, it's not, not so great, but it's not bad. Um, yeah. So yeah, eight films, <laughs> only two getting three stars, uh, Resurrection and Boyfriends and Girlfriends, though I do have like a sort of not so great feeling about Nocebo and Blue, Blue Jean. Those are the two ones that I would say, you know, take a chance on those. You might you might enjoy them. And The Fury and The Guardian, it's funny how these are all so close to each other and kind of ideas and concepts and horror. Uh, the Fury and The Guardian are probably two films that might have more stronger reactions either in the positive or negative uh, for what they are because of their subject matters and how the filmmakers go about them. But I am Mallory. I thank you again for listening to this episode. And like I said, we're at 5,280 films. Next episode is going to be next Tuesday on September 5th, which I hope you will enjoy and listen to when we get there. And then after that episode, hiatus. No new episode until the end of September. Follow the Twitter, follow the Instagram, and I will update you on when those episodes are live and available. The handles for Instagram and Twitter, you might be thinking, or X, whatever you want to call it, Cinema 5K. You can follow along there. And if you have any questions, comments, whatever, cinema5kpod at gmail.com is how you can reach me. I will talk to you later. Thank you.